Welcome to the Lead Wasps podcast, the only podcast in the world that specifically hosts international infantry guests. This week your guest is Sean Rogers, a former 18 Bravo weapon sergeant from the US Army Special Forces Green Berets. And without further ado, the Lead Wasps podcast episode 34 is live. Zero four zero Alpha, confirm that's bombs dropping on Mazdrak. Fucking hell! All right, Sean, thanks very much for uh, sitting down with, with me today, and uh, I, I appreciate you taking the time out, out your day to do that. Um, and we'll just probably jump right into it then. Um, and we we'll start doing a new a new opener here. Um, and it's it's gotten quite a, a good bit of, bit of response. Some of the guys have been sending me messages saying that they they like it, and some of the stories have been quite funny. So, what what would be one thing that um, that happened to you on deployment or on target that at the time you wanted to keep completely silent, didn't want anyone to know about, but you're more than happy to admit to now? Oh, there's a couple. So, um, <laughs> fire away, fire away. <laughs> so one. Uh, it was this was hard a hard hard one like uh, the other one's funny but this one was tough um so i was on i decided it'd be a good idea to have the 320 uh attached to my side and i didn't have a um setup for it yet i ended up getting one made but i didn't have an attachment for my kit so i was like whatever dude i'll take some 550 and then i'll run it through the finger uh the trigger guard and then and my senior came up to me. He's like, Hey bro, you going to run that through the trigger guard? I was like, I was like, yeah, dude, but it's empty. And he's like, all right. And I was like, it's empty. It's on safe. I was like, I'm just going to load it, shoot it. Cause it's a one rounder, you know, break barrel, Yeah. load it, shoot it. And then I'll put it back empty. And he's like, all right, cool. You thought about it. So, um, sure shit, you know, war happens. And I, a dude starts shooting at us and I load it up and I go to launch it. And, um, somebody, there's this like, I think he was CIA, but there's this like long haired, like uh, hippie dude in civilian clothes, just a total <laughs> badass. And he's like, Hey man, uh, this is a better spot up here. I know where he's at. So I was like, cool. So I attach, I put it on safe. I attach it back to my side with a round in it, HEDP high explosive round in it. And, uh, we're going to get up onto the second floor of the, um, buildings and the CIA guy, you, there's no stairs. So it's just like a, a post that they leaned up against the side to get up there. And of course he zooms right up it. Like it's nothing. I got an AT4 on my back. I got all this equipment. And so I jump up to grab his hand and he comes to pull me up and my side slides down the wall and it slides it off safe and pulls the cord and it fires. And that fucking 320 dude launches right by my leg. And luckily it had an, uh, you know, the minimum arming distance is like 40 meters or some yeah. shit. And that bitch sticks right into the ground. And I get to the top and I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck just happened, dude? And like the smoke is coming out of the 320. And that CIA guy looks at me calm as fucking can be, man. He goes, your gun went off. <laughs> I was like, son of a bitch. <laughs> God damn. It was fucking embarrassing. And not only was it embarrassing, but it was like, it was one of my first like um 
it was only my second tick. It was my second like tick. So I was like, this is how I'm going to operate as a fucking special forces Bravo. Like I'm NDing my own fucking gun off. I was like, I'm a shit show. And, uh, but luckily I got over it and you know, that 320 ended up saving my life like multiple times. So it was just a, a bad well, that, introduction that, to that, war. That's a rough one. That is, that is <laughs> a rough one to start off with. I, I was listening yeah. to podcasts with uh, Pat, Pat McNamara. Do you know that guy? Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. He, he was talking about uh, um, a time when he was in uh, um, the unit and one of the guys ended and there was no one around, nobody mm-hmm. around whatsoever. And previously, he'd just been talking about how if you, you can get fired at any time in that unit, like you oh, make yeah. a mistake, you're gone. And uh, he was saying that that guy had the had the 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 uh, courage to to own up to his mistake, and he went and he went and admitted it to to his command and told them that he ended knowing that he would get binned. Um, yeah. And the 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 come around of that is that he got chucked out the unit for like a year, and then he was allowed to come back. Uh, but bro, what? what sort of i don't know what you're what you're thinking when you're doing that especially when you're in a unit like that jesus but yeah nds are part of life man especially in war um bro fucking think about being an air an air force pilot you're dropping bombs and you know you don't have a clue who you're dropping them on sometimes yeah it's it's a bit bit of a crazy one what's what's your funny one then so 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 the the funny one wasn't funny for me, but I'm sure everyone else will get kicked out. And I haven't even told this one yet. This is my first time telling it. Uh, so this fucking my buddy, uh, he's a CCT guy, you know, combat controller. And this motherfucker, it's hot as balls out, dude. And we're getting the trucks ready to go on mission. And I'm sweating my ass off. I've been checking all the 50 cows. It's like 110 degrees out in Afghanistan. And I'm dying. And he comes up to me, and he's got a fucking full bottle in his hand. It looks like tea. And I was like, I was like, oh, dude, you got some tea? He's like, fuck yeah, bro, you want some? I was like, yes. I took a swig, dude, and it's fucking chaw spit. And I was like, <laughs> and I spit that back on the floor. I said, you motherfucker. And he's looking at me like shocked. He goes, dude, I thought you were fucking joking. He goes, I didn't think you're gonna drink it. And I was like, I thought it was tea, you son of a bitch. He goes, why the fuck would I be walking around with <laughs> a fucking water bottle full of tea? I was like, I don't know. And I was like, listen, dude. If we're going to stay homies, you need to drink, you need to fucking, cause I didn't drink it. I just went, it went in my mouth, but you need to put some of my fucking dip spit in your mouth and then we'll be square. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, oh, come on, dude. He's like, how about I give you this, uh, this light instead? And it was the, you know, one of those helmet, um, strobe lights and they're yeah. like 250 bucks and he's, but he's air force, dude. He's got all the equipment. And I was like. All right, that's fair, dude. I'll t- <laughs> <laughs> Bro, that's uh, not a lot. In fact, probably no one over in the UK dips. I, I, you know, I don't know anyone that dips in the UK. It's uh, probably just a cultural thing. But fuck, I've seen that dip spit before, and it, it is horrible. Horrible, horrible, yeah. dude. And, and on a hundred degree day, and it like, that's not what you want in your mouth, man. Ever. <laughs> so another man spit, let alone fucking chaw spit. Oh, dude. <laughs> Anyway, let's get into some uh, uh, some introductions. Give yourself a brief introduction uh, for the listeners and viewers as to who you are. Yeah, so my name's uh, Sean Buck Rogers. They called me Buck uh, when I got to the team. Um, I fucking hated that nickname, but now it's stuck. Um, I was 10th Special Forces um, out stationed out in Fort Carson, Colorado um, in the U.S. And um, 
you know, I went, I got out of special operations and I went law enforcement. I got on a specialized team in law enforcement as a, a citywide impact team. And then after George Floyd happened and, you know, the riots and all that stuff, I didn't feel like the department was looking out for their cops. Um, so I decided I was going to move on from that and do something I really wanted to do. And so I started the FNG Academy on YouTube, um, just helping dudes get selected, you know, helping them deal with the mindset and fear of failure and all that stuff. And um, it's kind of evolved into not so much about selection anymore. It's just about helping dudes grow. Um, and then, you know, I, I've been working on a book for the past couple of years and then the, the timing just couldn't be perfect. It was like, like YouTube started to take off. Um, and then the books it just happens to be coming out at the same time. And then all that stuff happens with George Floyd at my job. And it's like, wait a minute, like this seems like a lot of bad things happening at the same time. But it, if you look, if you look a little deeper, this seems like a great opportunity, um, to do my own thing. Yeah, and you and you're crushing it with the uh, with the YouTube. You've you've only been going a, a couple of months, haven't you? Or maybe a bit over a few months. Yeah, and uh, yeah. you know you got a big subscriber base as well. I mean, was it about forty thousand or something like that? Yeah, it's it's hit about it hit forty thousand the last couple of days. Um, yeah, and we've been at it for you know maybe five months. Um, so, I mean, YouTube is tough, man. YouTube yeah. is like a lot of people try to do that that side of the house and just fall on their face on it because it's like you don't know what the algorithm you don't know what people are going to want and <laughs> you know it's like and then people try to study the algorithm and i was like i can't fucking spend all day trying to study this thing that yeah. doesn't ex doesn't like make any sense so i was like you know what dude i'm just gonna you know try to help people and you know because that's why i went to youtube like i i went to youtube to learn something from somebody so i just I was like if i could just do that and every day like i got to do a video today after after we do this podcast and it's like i'm thinking about what to do and i'm like okay I put myself in their shoes how could i help them and that seems to be uh the method that's working the best for me yeah bro i checked out your uh your youtube and like one of the first videos that you put up was uh was like five tips or something like that and i was literally i'll be honest i was going on there like to vet who like who you are and like if you're mm -hmm. a good bloke or whatever so I went on there and the very first thing you tip one, be a runner. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as I seen that, I was like, this guy's legit. <laughs> yeah, dude, everyone like, especially once guys like start getting selected and they start getting in a Q course, everyone just wants to fucking stop running obviously as, as soon as possible. And it's like, dude, you're cutting yourself off at the knees, man. Like you're going to have to run not only until you get to group, but until you become, uh, like, a respected member on the team they're going to have these expectations of you and you know once you've gained that respect from your teammates then you could pull back and be like you know what i'm just going to jack weights and everyone will be like all right that's cool <laughs> you know jack weights and get ja get jobbed up but um yeah bro it's the same it's this i'm sure it's the same everywhere in terms of you know when you're scoping out guys good guys and bad guys and the very the very first thing you can do to make a good impression is just be fit and just be, mm -hmm. a, a, you know, even not, not necessarily front of the pack, but just be up there, you know, and all these tests and all these military, you know, courses and schools, they all involve basic running. They all, they're all, you know, based around running, aren't they? How many courses do you go to where it's like, right, guys, let me, let me see your max bench. It's like right. absolutely <laughs> zero. Fucking zero. no one cares if you can bench 315, 
but if, and and you can't and if, but if you can't run a mile and a half in ten and a half minutes, it's like you're an absolute shit cunt. So, yeah, um, I'm, I'm sure it's the same with that. And and the YouTube uh, channel you've got going, you know, for guys who are wanting to go down that path, a lot of guys going straight from civilian street and guys who are transitioning through the ranks and into into that um, you know that pathway. It's you know I think you've got something great there. And there's a bunch of people doing similar, not necessarily similar things, but in that whole sector, you know, um, mm. XSF guys now and, you know, ex-military guys, you know, they've got YouTube channels. And, but I think, I think, yeah, the proof's in the pudding and for being so successful so quickly, you know, imagine two years down the line where, where you'll be, you'll be, be fucking making 36 Gs a video, bro. <laughs> well shit i hope so man <laughs> some of these the, fucking youtubers are making millions a dude, year millions yeah they're, they're making bank um so i just got off talking to zach hughes he's another dude that um helps and and he's a prior green brain doing the same thing i'm doing and he was like he his partner just bounced from uh operators association because he's got one point fucking three million on youtube and he's making half a mil a year it's like, uh, sorry, yeah, 500, yeah. yeah, it's about 500 grand a year in fucking YouTube. And he's like, dude, I got to do this full time now. And it's like, that's fucking crazy, dude. And he tells uh, fucking horror stories. That's his YouTube channel. He tells <laughs> he tells horror stories. <laughs> he's making fucking $500,000 a year. It's like, that's just Bro, crazy. There's an, but there's, the, an, there's an audience for everything right now. There really is. But the main thing is, you know, people will hit me up and be like, or, or they'll say comments like, oh, you, all you SF guys, you all want to be fucking YouTubers and famous now. It's like, you're, you're missing why. There's a very specific reason why we're doing this and why a lot of SF guys, if they do choose to go this route, um, they either teach people how to shoot or they teach through YouTube or they something like that. It's, it's therapy for us. So a lot of ex-SF guys, whether they're SEALs, fucking MARSOC, um, SAS, you know, whatever, whatever special operations, we got a bunch of fucking baggage and we need something that's going to help us cope in the civilian sector and helping other people is the best way that we found to do that. So yeah. it's not that, it's not that we want fucking people to know our names and shit. Um, it's that we need help too. And we're broken as fuck and we're trying to fix ourselves at the same time. And the best way to do that is to help other people. Yeah. I'm, I'm very much the same way as what you what you just described there like there's no pictures of me on my instagram account it's, it's all for the for the for the guys that i have on as guests um i post one picture a week of and i do one one episode a week of of this podcast and for me bro it's it's literally just a hobby like you get out of the military you've got so much fucking time and there's nothing mm -hmm. to do you go to your work and you, you know let's you know i'm lucky enough not to have a miserable job but you know you go to work you come back and it's like you go to the gym make some food and it's like read a book right what do i do with that spare two hours of my time or spare three four <laughs> hours it's like you're, you're twiddling your thumbs around thinking oh fuck, yeah. i need to do something um and i'm sure it's the same with you you just constantly have to be busy and active and productive um but yeah there's you everyone knows the fucking first minute you listen to a guy on a video or the first minute you hear him talk on a podcast or whatever if he's full of shit or if he's not um and the guys who are successful are, are clearly not the ones who are full of shit. I'm sure there's been guys that have tried to start this type of stuff and just crumbled at the wayside. Guys who are put, putting out good content, you know, valuable stuff that's helping other people, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be successful. And 
I think as well, you need to change with the with the with the times. Like YouTube now is a place where you can make half a million a year just mm -hmm. from training. You know, and these guys who might 15 years ago have just went and done consulting and had their own, uh, you know, firearms company, you know, training guys even, even seven days a week, they can now reach a much bigger target audience and make a bigger revenue a year um, and help more people. You know, it's a win-win for everyone. It really is. Yep. It's, it's a win-win for everyone except the guys that don't have it in them to, to do it. Cause then they just get pissed off at the ones that did. Yeah, those those guys are the haters and they're the, they're the losers. Yeah. They're the guys that's not getting up at seven in the morning, going for a run, or they're eating shit nonstop. And yeah, yeah. fuck those guys, man. Yeah. Anyway, let's jump into some of uh, some of your the time before you, before you joined the military. What what were some of the opportunities that you had growing up, or what did they even look like? Uh growing up for me, and that's one thing. That's really what the book is about. To be honest with you, is growing up because. Um, growing up for me was fucking savage, dude. Um, my mom was a drug addict. Uh, the dad bounced at one. Um, but you know, it's, 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 people might think like, oh, so your parents weren't around. Who gives a shit? But it's like, my mom was fucking nuts, dude. Like I remember coming home and, and she would, she had, uh, this boyfriend, he was an alcoholic. He tried to blow his brains out and his fucking blew his bicep off. And he was just, both of them were just drinking. And then one day I come home and she fucking drove the car into the house. So, <laughs> so the fucking front of the car is sitting in the living room of this like alcoholics, uh, house. And I'm like, what's going to happen when this dude gets home? Like he's going to fucking murder all of us. <laughs> <laughs> and this is like, dude. So I'm like, I'm like, you know, 10, 11, 12, and I'm always stressed out on my mind, you know, I've, I've went weeks without food. Um, well, obviously we, we had food. It was yeah. French fries. You know, we had, uh, this, uh, you know, I'll never forget that my mom sold all, you know, everything we had, she spent all her money, uh, on pills cause she, she's an opioid addict. And then the only thing we had to eat for two weeks was these like, um, commercial sized bags of French fries that some lady gave her, uh, that worked at a restaurant. And so I, I was like microwaving fries and fucking, God you know, damn. and, and then, you know, driving the car in the house, we got shot at when I was like, I think I was eight. My brother was 10. Uh, she ripped off her drug dealer and he was chasing us. And I was sitting out the back window, just like watching this guy, uh, you know, sitting on my knees and I'm like, what is he doing? And then, uh, he reached out the window, started shooting at us. And the only reason I didn't get hit in the chest was because the round hit the emblem of the car and deflected down into the trunk and then another round split the the uh roof of the car Holy so shit. it was yeah so it was just like constant where, fucking where, you, stress. Where, where the hell are you from uh <laughs> you would think like <laughs> chicago or something right but i'm from feeling california it's a it's like a desert town right. um out in california and it was it i it's kind of hard to like for people to even imagine but out in the desert dude it's a different kind of hood right because you could do and get away with almost everything you know like people came out there to to have meth labs and to fucking bury bodies because cops aren't finding you you know you can you could escape you know by driving 100 miles an hour down dirt road like it's so remote mm -hmm. that like there was some real savagery there and, and uh police just couldn't couldn't keep up with it 
Yeah, and I imagine there's not enough. Yeah, like you said, the the police can't keep up with it, genuinely, just because it would be so sparse. And you know, mm-hmm. to cover that amount of area, you'd need a massive force. Bro, that's a fucking crazy existence. I'm sure you've got some crazy stories from being a yeah. kid. Then, if if you grew up in that type of type of life, yeah, I, I really do. And that's that's what um, you know. This is what the one thing I'm like really excited about the book to come out is because people people have seen where I've gotten right. They've seen, you know, I got an associate's degree, bachelor's degree, uh, about to finish my master's degree, uh, you know, military, special operations, whatever, you know what I mean? Like the, they've seen the highlights, but the part that they haven't seen, and cause I've never talked about it until recently and no one knows how in depth these, this, my childhood goes is where I started from. So honestly, I, I'm excited for, for people I burned in the past, you know, and for people that I didn't make a good impression with to have a a glimpse at where I started. So maybe they could start to get an idea of why I'm kind of a fucked up human being and, and why I make a lot of mistakes, you know? Yeah. How was that writing that stuff down then putting it, put it pen to paper or typing that shit out? Was it kind of therapeutic for you or was it you know, bring up some bad memories or, you know, cause f- from what, from what you're describing to me, like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a viewer, I'm a listener, right. To, to your mm. story and bro, it just sounds exciting. It sounds fun, but I'm, I know it isn't like, if you're living that experience, it isn't fun. It isn't exciting. But for someone to listen to those stories, man, that's fucking driving the car into a house, getting shot <laughs> up at eight years old. That's like, that's some serious shit. Yeah, it, it was. Um, it was super therapeutic and that's why I started writing. It wasn't to write a book. It was because I needed to face my past because it was fucking owning me, dude. Like I would, and this is, um, you know, I was on talking to mentors for military and I was like, this is what I have so many issues. Cause like I never accepted what that past did to my future. You know what I mean? So like somebody says something wrong and I'm fucking snapping on them, you know, road, road rage, dude, I will fucking run people off the road. Like I've been in some shit where my wife is like fucking ripping my skin off, trying to get me to stop trying to fight people, you know, like, and it, and that's why I started writing is cause like, why do I act like this? And then it wasn't until I started digging up the past and be like, okay, this makes sense. Like I'm having these issues from this. And that's when the therapy started happening. And I was able to start, start calming down, you know, some of that like neurotic ass behavior, you know, that I had from my childhood. Yeah. And did you have any sort of male, male role model in your life or, or a mentor or anything like that growing up? Not really. Like, um, you know, my uncle, um, my uncle's like, my family tried to be there for us. You know, we had good family members, but my mom was just such a savage that it wasn't worth it for them to keep getting involved. So like I would run away constantly. And then every time I run away, my mom would call the cops and the cops come get me and bring me back. Um, so it was just a cycle of having the police called on her for all her bullshit. And then her using the police, um, to, you know, manipulate people and to get her way. So my family tried, they really did, but they were just limited because she was good at manipulating people and good at fucking using the cops. Yeah, man, that's, uh, I only asked because I think, you know, I never, re- my, my old man kind of disappeared out of my life at about 13 and I never really had a, a you know, like a, a role model, but I understand now having been, you know, lived, a uh, lived through a lot of shit in life, you know, just in 
growing up and being an adult mm-hmm. that the value like a, a male influence does have on, on on a young person um and you know i've been playing around with the idea and I, I think i've talked about it before about you know just picking up some disadvantaged kid and trying to be a mentor or more role model for him or something like that and mm-hmm. I, I don't know how i don't know how that looks in reality but it's just something that i thought about doing you know imagine someone coming into your life at 10 or 12 or 13 who's you know essentially got his life more squared away than what you're used to and then just giving you little bits of advice little bits of guidance taking you to events taking you to school or whatever making sure you're squared away with lunches or i don't know you do something like that um right and i think maybe if you if people have something like that in their life you know I think the male role model specifically is is key to to young men you know they need to they need to know that being fucking you know getting in fights standing up for yourself all of this so all of this is good it's all you know it's all positive shit don't be afraid to fucking to try and be an alpha you know um whereas if you're not if you don't have in your life you might you know just hear the shit that goes around in society about how fucking toxic masculinity is you know killing the world (laughs) Right. No, I, I couldn't agree more, man. And, you know, maybe the podcast is the, the route to that. And I think that's that's what we're doing now, right, is we're getting our stories out there. So things will generate from that, you know, and, and once the book comes out and the, you know, with what you're doing, with what you're helping me do right now, once that story gets out, we'll start spinning in other people's heads and opportunities will start opening for us to give back to, to kids. But honestly, at this moment, and and just so you know, like, what we've talked about already is already more than I've opened up about it on other podcasts. Like I've scratched the surface in other podcasts, but it's getting close to the point now where it's like the, the experiences need to start coming out because, um, once that book drops and people see like what it was like, you know, and I don't mean to, to compare to other people, but like I read, I love Goggins book, David Goggins book, uh, can't hurt me. Yeah. I've I've read it as well. Yeah. It's It's a great book. But when I read his, and I know everyone's childhood is different, but when I read his childhood, I'm like, that sounds like a fucking dream, dude. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and it's, it's Bro, like, you had it, you had it rough. If that was a dude, dream. Dude, there, I mean, there's days when, when I'd come home. And so in response to my mom driving that car into that dude's house, um, he, I came home one day and the, the whole front of the house, the front of the doors is shot up with bullet holes. So he got drunk and decided that no one was going to disrespect his house over him. So he got a shotgun and just started blasting fucking rounds into the front door, you know? And it's like, Fuck you know, I'm, dude, I'll wake up in the middle of the night and they're beating the shit out of each other. And I take off running with no shoes on, uh, to my aunt's house, which is like five miles through the, the desert and just to, to get help for my sister, you know, cause my sister is like crying in a corner while they're beating each other's asses. Um, so it, but the cool thing is once people see that side, you know, cause it's like, oh yeah, he's green Bray, Like, oh yeah, it's so, it's so great. You accomplished that thing. And it's like, but that's not the point. The point is yeah. to come from this and to accomplish that. And then how can we empower those kids that think they'll never accomplish a status of master's degree or green Bray or all, you know, whatever else, because they had a fucked up childhood and they're broken now you know so they think that shit's unobtainable and my my goal is to tell them that the opposite is true 
and uh, and I'm sure you're already replying to hundreds of comments in your Instagram and your your YouTube comments, you know, daily. Well, maybe not hundreds daily, but I don't know. You can tell me if I'm wrong, but I, I get a few comments a day from different people, you know, you know, necessarily not necessarily struggling through life, but with little issues here and there, and saying thank you, it's been inspiring or whatever. But mm. I'm sure with with growth comes more responsibility and you know with a, an audience base like you do have i'm sure you're getting that stuff already um and like you said it's, it's good um and i'm i'm more than happy to to help out where i can and just you know take a bit of time to reply to someone because bro you have no idea what individuals are going through you have mm-hmm. no idea what individuals are going through um fucking life you're, is rough it is dude you're right and i, I just got a message this morning and i do i get I probably get about 50 to 60 messages a day uh, from guys from the um, YouTube and some of them got to wait like two or three days because this shit, it just keeps coming in every day and I get behind on them. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying, you know, and I got a message today from a dude. He's like, bro, I had my contract ready to go. And then I got diagnosed with testicular cancer. And it's like, fuck me, man. He's and but all he said was, I'm gonna beat this shit and then I'm gonna get after it. And I was like, fuck yeah, dude. Good for you. You'll do well. Anyway, yeah. um, what was it? What was the, what was the catalyst that ended up you going down the military route? Because it would have been so easy to just rest on your laurels and just feel sorry for yourself, and mm. you know, end up working at Denny's or some shit like that. But what yeah. was the what was the what was the sticking point? And you were like, "Fuck, I'm going to do this." Or did someone were you recruited? Or how did that look like? What was the process of joining? Yeah. So great question, man. The um, I honestly got lucky that I didn't get um, arrested and have, you know, uh, uh, a criminal record because I I sat in the back of cop cars multiple times and, um, you know, a lot of them just hooked me up. They really did. They were they could have slammed the book at me. You know, I remember one time somebody did a, a, a burnout in my front yard at my mom's house and uh, and I found out my brother calls me and he's like, hey, dude, I found that car that did the burnout. And I was like, cool, where's it at? And I fucking took a two by four, about eight foot long, and I put about a thousand nails in that bitch. And then I put it in their driveway, covered up with some dirt, and they fucking drove over it and popped two cars. They were leaving at the same time, popped all their fucking tires. And uh, I ended up getting caught for that. And, you know, there was just so many instances like that. You know, I beat the shit out. Dude, I can go on. But the cops kept letting me off, so, you know, at least giving it, you know, give me a break on the charges that they did. So thank God for that. Um, but what happened was, uh, I was in EMT school. I was going to go for a firefighter. That's what I wanted to do. And we were switching off rides between me and this other guy. And because it was up in uh, big bear. So he'd, he'd drive one day. I'd drive the other day. He was this little like skater kid, man. He was like 110 pounds soaking wet. And he comes up to me. He's like, hey, dude, that guy in the front, like, I think he wants to fight me. And I was like, why? Why would he want to fight you, dude? And he's like, I don't know, man. He's like, he's just like fucking mean mugging me every time I walk by. So I was like, all right. So I get up and I go to throw away my gum in the front of the class. And I walk back and I look at him and sure as shit, he starts mean mugging me. And I was like, what the fuck? So I looked at him. I was like, what's up, dude? And he's like, you got a fucking problem? And I was like, it seems like you got a fucking problem. I was like, you want to handle it or what? And he's like, I'll see you outside. And I was like, all right. So I had Crocs on. And uh, 
<laughs> so I told my buddy, I said, what should I shoot you got? And he's like, I got a, a nine and a half. I was like, close enough. Give me your boots. I'm about to fight this guy. And so we go outside and he walks up to me and he puts his fucking nose like right on my forehead and like touches my forehead with his nose. And I, I like never in my life before a fight had someone like touched me with their face. Um, so I headbutted him in the nose and his nose just explodes like like bleeding everywhere. The teacher comes out. She starts screaming. <laughs> anyway, I got, I get kicked out of school. Um, and then the next day I walked in the recruiter's office and was like, well, I'm either going to keep ruining every opportunity I find. Or I could find an institution that will allow me to be rough around the edges and be a fuck up. Um, but not kick me out, you know? And so I joined the army the next day. And what did you, what did you choose to join and what did the recruiter tell you you were joining? So, <laughs> so this son of a bitch, um, I went in and I was like, all I told him was I want to be a ranger. And he was like, all right, come back tomorrow. Um, and I'll see if I can pull a ranger contract for you. I was like, cool. Thank you. So I come back in. He's like, Hey man, I got good news. And I got bad news. And I was like, what do you got? He goes, I got you a ranger contract. I was like, all right, I don't care then. That's all I wanted. And he's like, ah, well, hang on. He's like, there's no more infantry spots left for the option 40. He's like, the only thing I get is 92 golf. I was like, what is that? And he's like, it's a cook. I was like, what the fuck? I was like, you guys, <laughs> I was like, you guys have cooks in the army? I was like, I thought civilians would do that. I didn't even know. <laughs> I didn't even know people did that shit in the army. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, what the fuck? I was like, okay, so how long do I got to do that? And he's like, nah, dude, you do it for like two months. He's like, just get into Ranger Regiment. And then as soon as you get into Ranger Regiment, tell them you want to be infantry and they'll let you switch. And I was like, all right, cool. I could do anything for two months. And uh, that was a fucking lie. So I ended up going to Ranger selection, uh, busted my ankle real bad. And then had, to, I went to 173rd out in Germany. Um, and then I, is this whole story. I ended up getting out of the defect and becoming a personal security for the Sergeant major. And so, you know, I did that for that, my first deployment and then came home from my first deployment and then went to selection for special forces. <clears throat> just just quickly if you if you don't mind going back what what was the what was your transition like going into joining the military because obviously you, you've got an absolute crazy hectic life and then you're thro you're thrown into this disciplined you know timely organization how was that oh it was bad dude um it was not good for me so i i still kept fighting um i'll never forget i was walking through uh someone else's a different company's barracks and we had to walk through their sleeping barracks to get to our classroom. And they had all the mats out cause they were doing combatives. And I like, tr I tripped a little bit and I stepped on the corner of their fucking mat, like barely with my shoes. And this dude was like, get off our fucking mats. And I was like, excuse me. And he's like, you heard me don't fucking step on our mats. So I walked on his mat and I went <laughs> and I spit. <laughs> I spit on it and he fucking speared me and then we landed on the ground. We start fighting and then his buddies start jumping in and like trying to kick me and shit. And before he knows like three of them kicking my ass and, uh, my drill sergeant was like, Hey, fucking break it up. And he goes and talks to them 
And then he comes back to me and I was like, this is it. I'm going to get kicked out. And he's like, did you fucking spit on their mat? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I was like, fuck yeah, I spit on their mat. The fucking asshole is like, I barely stepped on it. And he starts cussing me out. I was like, it's an accident. So yeah, I spit on their fucking mat. I was like, fuck that guy. And he's like, dude, you're killing me. He's like, cut this shit out. Go to class. He's like, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> I, yeah, I can Im- I can imagine it. Well, I've got friends that are uh, at the depot at the minute, and they tell me shit like this. The guys that come through, like the first couple of weeks, they're fucking all over the place because you've got guys who are like super nerdy. You've got guys who are super intelligent. And then you've got the complete opposite guys who are like don't have a clue about they've never been educated and then you've yeah. got other guys who are literally like fucking rottweiler dogs it's like just a, <laughs> a whole bunch of guys getting brought together and like they they all end up leaving the the same guy at the end of end of the the six months or whatever it is but it's it's a it's it's a good fucking chocolate factory to put these guys through um yeah. and it works you know whatever country you're in it it works and it does even in that initial basic training period it it changes you for a number of years at least um but how the hell was uh how how is how is your mindset going to ranger battalion but knowing that you were going to be a cook man that must have fucking sucked yeah so for me like i i just focused so heavily on getting that tambourine that i was like i could care less honestly what i had to do once i got there i was like it, i will get infantry i'm not worried about that but I have to get that fucking tambourine. Yeah. And I, I, I worried about it too much. And that's kind of what I try to help guys with not doing now, you know, is like you could stress yourself right into, you know, poor, um, performance. And I, I was like, I was stressed and, and I did really well, you know, on the events that I was in before I got hurt. Um, but then just stupid mistakes. Like when the cadre told me to close the gap, because you have to say arm's length to the guy in front of you on a ruck run. And I was touching the guy in front of me. And he goes, look in front of him. And the guy in front of me had fallen out, like, a lot. So instead of, like, just catching up like an intelligent person, I just wanted to impress him. And I took off as fast as I could, like, sprinting with a ruck on and new boots and fucking rolled my ankle and, and took myself out of the fight. But um, honestly, I was so focused on getting that uh, – tambourine that i could i could give a fuck they could have been like you're gonna you're gonna scrub the shitters for fucking six months i'd be like i don't care just give me that fucking beret yeah um <clears throat> and then you ended up going to fucking cook school and then germany but how the <laughs> <laughs> what the hell did they teach you at cook school oh dude that that was when shit got went south for me is like when i showed up and they're all wearing like these white uniforms i was like what the fuck is that like you, they're like the, cooks the, wearing, the enemy's gonna fucking see you, you dumbass. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, like, I was like, this isn't tactical at all. And they're like, dude, you gotta iron that shit every day too. And I was like, I've never ironed a fucking thing in my life. I'm not ironing clothes. And uh, so right away, I knew I made a mistake. But so I worked fucking hard. I worked hard to get out of that that job, and I got out of that job pretty quick. I only had to do it for a couple months, and then um got into another position it's uh it's interesting though I'll probably just you know bring this up briefly but it's interesting the 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 impact that a bad recruiter can have or a recruiter 
like the like the one that you had that just said, oh yeah, you're going to be a cook in Ranger Battalion, but just get there and then you can change. It's like, well, that's not really the fucking way that you should be doing it. Like you should probably no. be fucking, you know. And I, I and I'm sure I suppose there's a bit of taking advantage of these these guys who are coming in young and fucking dumb and don't have a clue what is what, um, because they sh- they really should be looking after after people at that stage. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's hard, man. They've got a fucking quota to fill each month as well. And like, if they don't, yeah. then they get fucking shafted. Their career can take a down downward spiral if they're not hitting targets. Um, so I, I get it. Uh, we have a different a different way of operating here. They, they don't have quotas. There, there's no effect in their pay or anything like that. Or and and generally, well, fucking hell. Now it's all run by civilians, which is an absolute travesty. It's all mm. online and it's all run by civilians which is an absolute disgrace if you ask me, but, um, I know, in, I know in the States, um, it's, you know, it's slightly different and, you know, they're limited in, as to what jobs they can give you. And that, that's understandable as well, because uh, there can only be a set, certain amount of, you know, roles available, <clears throat> but bro, you need to be giving guys something. If, if they're, if they can't get a Ranger contract, then you need to be saying, right, well, if you go infantry battalion, then you can transfer a Ranger battalion in two years or whatever. Like they yep. shouldn't be saying you go cook. That's fucking right. ridiculous. I know. Yeah. So he he got me, man, and and I get it. I, I, there's a lot of great recruiters out there, and yeah, um, I'm not like dogging all recruiters. He just got me, and that what he, I don't know if he knew this or not, but in Ranger Battalion, because this is one thing that Rangers do really really well. There is really smart about them. Um, we don't do this in SF. Is support goes through uh their selection right so a cook is still a ranger and has a tambourine because he went through rasp yeah. ranger assessment selection right that's fucking genius because then your support is still high speed and and hard ass dudes um and they're they're hard workers and stuff that's fucking intelligent as shit um in sf you just get assigned to um uh, sf as a support person so all you have to be is airborne qualified and then you you get assigned to SF, uh, which sucks because we get some of the fucking worst. I mean, we get some of the best too, but it's all by chance and yeah. that's, it shouldn't be by chance. I mean, you're supporting, you know, uh, elite units, then you should, you should be good support fucking personnel. So, but anyway, my, my point being by that is because obviously no one wants to be a fucking ranger cook. They, are hurting bad for that position to be filled. So if I did make it in a range, it was like a, it was like a godsend that I got hurt. Cause if i made it, there's no way they would have let me switch to infantry. They like, I would have had to finish out my entire contract before being allowed to switch. That's uh, I don't know. It's so it's so backwards. Our, our Marines have the same thing over here where they get fucking screwed as well. So they join and they all, they all join as, as infantry. Right. But then, you know, maybe two years into their contract or two years into their service, they have like a big, you know, troll of guys. It's like, uh, we need guys to go as cooks or drivers or clerks and admin p- positions. And bro, it's a lottery. You have mm. the best guys and, you know, the, literally the best guys going from basic training. So a guy who gets like top student, um, he, this is like mm. anecdotal, but this is uh, coming from my friend as well. So the, the best guy in basic training a couple of years later ends up being a fucking a, a clerk like you know doing admin it's like this yeah. guy is a fucking animal he's an absolute legit unit 
but now you've just you've just taken the fucking of operational effectiveness of your unit down by moving this guy out into a fucking administrative position our our, our army do it differently so like the the units that are deployed with sf they all go through like some sort of sf training so if they're you know in the special forces support group they will have done i don't know they will have fucking done uh, p company and their jumps and a bunch of other training as well and then obviously if they're with like tier one units then they will have done a, a whole bunch of other stuff you know they even have a special forces signals detachment mm. so it's you know you're not going to get a, sh a shit guy rocking up with an sf unit in, in the uk which is which is probably very good yeah. um um but yeah it's, it's it's so interesting how things are similar so much it's like so similar in certain aspects but very different in others um between different different nations um how the hell was life in europe then because i judging by your your upbringing i can imagine a trip to germany would have been a fucking something you never thought you would have done as you're a kid if you're when you were a kid yeah it, it really was like uh, that was the first thing that was because i when i failed or got hurt in ranger selection like i was devastated it, it crushed me i fucking cried in front of the instructors when he like i'm not even joking like I came down, he looked at my ankle, and he's like, yeah, man, you're done. I started tearing up, and I started just punching the fucking locker, dude. Like, all the emotions came out, and I was like, fuck. Like, it crushed me. So to get that, the orders, it was like it was like a little bit of a perk, you know? They were like, hey, you're going to Germany. I'm like, oh, I get to travel? Like, that would yeah. be amazing. Um, so I was, I was actually really stoked to go to Germany. Um, and then one thing I found kind of strange when I got there was the – the soldier environment in that like regular army kind of fucking um, support unit uh, area in Germany, dude, they were fucking criminals, bro. Like, like gangbangers, like uh, like fucking bloods, crips, like all, they. A lot of the a lot of the bangers seem to first of all go support unit, but then a lot of them also wanted to go. You know, same as me. You know, they grew up just gangbanging and not having a lot of opportunity. Um, so a lot of them, you know, worked it to get into the Germany. So I was getting in fights out there like crazy too with, with these soldiers that were, uh, you know, gang banging and, and they brought their gang, their, uh, gang to, to the military, you know, I was getting jumped outside of clubs and stuff and, and we were going toe to toe with some of these dudes. And so it was, it was kind of crazy. Cause even at that point I had still not given up, you know, my lifestyles and there's yeah. a lot of people that didn't. So. Why, why do you think that is do you think it's maybe just because it's seen as an a, a, an easier route into the military or you think that's why yeah. it is well i think a lot of them are just like i mean you get i mean you get gangsters at all walks in the military right like some of them it just kind of depends on what they want to do but um for some reason i'm not sure why but the support units i think get a little bit extra I have no idea why <laughs> it was just it's fucking weird. that like, especially as a cook, like in the defects and shit, like I had, I had people tell me I was going to get clapped and, and blood <laughs> for life and all this stuff. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, what are we in the military? What the fuck? <laughs> Shut the fuck up, boy. We're on the same yeah. Thing. <laughs> yeah. How is life in Germany? Cause oh, I, dude. I, I, I fucking love Germany. Germany is one of the best countries I've ever been to same same i loved it dude i what blew me away was just how fucking clean that place was and it's like you know what here's here's a country who who appreciates 
their country, right? Like, they don't fucking... Like, every time I see someone, like, driving a car, throw a cigarette butt on the floor, I want to take that cigarette butt and shove it down their fucking throat. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> I have I have come close to rear-ending people for throwing cigarette butts on the floor. Shit pisses me off. Or throwing their trash out the window. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in, in Germany, it, dude, it's all so clean. And the one of the most amazing things I thought about it was you can go downtown. Uh, we were in Bamberg. Downtown in the middle of the night... And feel safe. Everyone's just drinking Gluvine, fucking chilling. They're not looking for fights. They're not, you know, it's it's not like this pack mentality. It's like all the German citizens are out there to hang out, enjoy the night, and, and relax. And it's like, it's a cool, cool environment that's a lot different from the States. Yeah. When was the last time you were there? Oh, man, it's been a while now. We left there 2013. I got selected in... I started the Q. I left for the Q course in 2013. Bro, so, it, it's it's different now. It's is it? Fi- yeah, it's full of fucking fighting age males from fucking the Middle East. Oh, really? Full, full of them, massive. Oh no. Yeah, it's ruined. Um, oh no, it sucks. You know, but Germany's still Germany. The people are fucking yeah. lovely. You know, the the yeah. culture's still there. It's just that the they've food. got yeah, the food, everything, man, yeah. everything. Yeah. You know, you can. <sighs> Bro, the whole of Europe is like this. And maybe with the exception to to the UK, but uh, you can go out, <laughs> you can go out, and just literally just bump into someone and start talking, and you yeah. know just sit down and have a drink, and even fucking go. I went for dinner with some someone one night. <laughs> I just met them like a couple of hours before. Yeah. It's so fucking crazy, but um, yeah, Germany. If if you're listening, and you've never been to Germany, and you ever get the opportunity, you should fucking go there because mm. it is amazing, and and like you said, it's beautiful as well. And there's some beautiful yeah. girls there as well. So um, stay away from military towns. Stay away from fucking fighting age males from the Middle East and you, you'll be good. You'll have a good time. Yeah. Um, I forget who it was. They they had a, I forget what like group of people that they had over there before. They were like, stay the fuck. They will stab your ass. Man, who was it? The... Anyway, it was a small group of dudes. And if, if you Americans like got caught dancing with their, their women, they would just come up and stick you and, and sail out. But like you said, it's, it's military bases because you got to think like military bases. We're going over there and, and drinking and fighting and having sex and we're pissing everybody off. So stealing if you stay girls. away from military towns, you're going to be good. <laughs> stealing all their girls. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's get onto the meat. Let's get into the meat of the podcast and the SF and particularly selection. So what let, what was the, what led from you dis- deciding that you weren't going to pursue Ranger uh, Regiment anymore and deciding that you're going to go SF? Um, to me, I feel like just as a personal thing, and this is kind of what I tell guys, is like I was just getting older, and I feel like my time in Ranger Selection, I was surrounded by like 18-year-old, 19-year-old kids, which is cool. Like if you can knock it out when you're young, that's awesome. But to go back to that and be around 18, 19 year old kids again, and I was I was like 21, 22, or no, um, by that time I've been like 23, 24. So I felt like I was getting older, and I was like, I don't really want to jump back into the you know the 18 year old pool again. Like I felt like I was the old guy when I was there originally, and I was like 21, <laughs> you know, and yeah. I was the old cat, and because yeah. everyone else is so young, dude, they're all like, because. Uh, they take you know you could be 17 and sign up for that shit um so i was like you know as i'm getting older i feel like uh special forces would be more along you know 
my mindset and what I want to do. And I was starting to get my shit together. So, um, I, I chose SFAS and that just happened to be what scared the shit out of me. Like that was, that was a challenge that like truly had me like fucking shaking in my boots. And so that's what I needed to do. How did your preparation for that look like just, just prior to going to SFAS? Because that's not actual, that's not, that's, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but that's not actual selection, is it? So SFAS is selection. Yeah. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, uh, SFAS is special forces assessment selection. You'll do that three weeks. So much has changed in the Q course and selection now, but, um, and then from there you go back to your unit, gather up your family and then move to brag right. uh, to start the qualification course. Um, so how, so how, I, how was your build up for SFAS then? So I was in Afghanistan, um, during my whole train up. So, uh, it was actually a benefit for me. So I would do two twice a day CrossFit, uh, workouts. And then at least three times a week, I'd, I'd put the ruck on with like 50, 60 pounds and I just go walk around, you know, try to hit like, uh, eight to 10 miles on the ruck. And that was, that was pretty much it. I think the CrossFit thing, whether you, you know, whether you're a CrossFit person or not, it's just that constantly varying movement. That's just good for, it's good for selections. I mean, you can't, you can't beat the fact that that workout's going to keep changing and at selection shit's going to keep changing. It just matches perfectly in my opinion. Yeah. And, wh so, and what did, what did you find that was most, most useful for, for you? And if there was anything that you, you, you wouldn't do if you could do it again, what, what were those two things? Um, <clears throat> Obviously, you know, like a lot of guys, I hated stretching and, and rolling out. Um, but I forced myself to do it in those times. And that was like one of the best decisions that I made. Um, so I think that would be my biggest advice to people as far as the, the train up goes is really get into that stuff, you know, study the, study the stretching and the, the, the rolling and, you know, get into the physiological you know, effects and whatever, you know, Kelly start, you know, how he like fucking digs into that stuff and fascia and all that shit. Even if it's not something you're interested in, get interested in it for train up because injury prevention is, is so massive. And that's what I learned from, you know, Ranger selection. And that's something that, uh, that tier one units all over the world are, are massively, massively into now is being, being supple and taking the time to recover by doing stretching and, and, and like you said, rolling out, it's, uh, it's, it, you know, you don't need to be a fucking scientist and you don't need to understand why it's, why it's helping you just know that it's fucking helping you. Mm. Um, and then I guess what would be something that you did that you would like, oh fuck, that was a bit, bit of a waste of time that didn't really help me out. Or if you could use your time better, um, what would you add in? Um, I don't know. I felt, I felt good when it came to, um, Rangers or SFAS. And that was because of all the things that I fucked up in, in Ranger selection. Yeah. So if we're going to talk about mistakes, uh, we can go back to Ranger selection. And that's where I feel like, um, getting kicked in the nuts taught me so much, uh, you know, cause you know, failure teaches us a ton, but the mistakes in Ranger selection were numerous, not having in broke, broken in boots. And all this applies to SFAS too. Mm -hmm. Um, this is just where I learned it, not having good broken in boots, not having the right boots for the job, you know, having these standard issue, um, boots with high heels, uh, that are easy, you know, to roll your ankle in, not understanding that, you know, 
boots loosen up as you ruck. And so you need to, um, you know, constantly be making adjustments, learning how to set up my ruck so it didn't sway around and, you know, fit like shit and have it too low and hurting my back. Um, never going hundred percent full bore, right? Like you, you think of a selection, like you have to give it everything you got all the time, but there's a balance to that. If you go so fucking hard that you're not in control of your body anymore and you're like, you're redlining, you're just increasing your chances for injuries like tenfold. Um, so those are all the lessons that I learned from ranger selection failure and applied to SFAS and they helped tremendously, you know, so I'd be in selection in SFAS and I'm running and it's getting super sandy. Well, instead of like some people were, or like I would have done before and just balls to the walls through that sand, I'm looking at my placement. Where am I going to run? What route am I going to take? Which one is going to be, uh, least, um, damaging to my ankles and, and, you know, things like that. So I stayed very injury conscious during SFAS and it worked out well for me. And it's funny that you mentioned that now, cause I'm thinking as I'm literally thinking as you're talking, like you would never do that on deployment and you would never do that on target. You would never just go balls to the wall. You'd always take a calculated, you know, approach to things. Am I going to fucking break my leg if I jump off this wall with a fucking 60 pound rock on my back? Like <laughs> I'm not doing that shit if it's going to fucking uh, be, uh, have a negative outcome. Um, but how, how is it, you know, I don't know, I don't know how much you talk about the process of uh, selection. So you can maybe just, just go through it as much or as little as you want. Uh, and in terms of just doing like a, a brief description of, you know, how you see it. Um, and maybe just even give, give the guys a bit of a, an FNG academy um sort of snippet of what what your videos look like about talking about it <laughs> yeah so um that's kind of what fng academy is all about is is hitting what um what is going to help guys get selected because the last thing you want is is to have this dream and know that it's never going to come to fruition because uh, you didn't have the right information you didn't have the right input and things like that so um for sfas and what it looks like is i think mental uh the mental aspect of it is highly underrated um it's extremely stressful in the build-up it's extremely stressful once you get there um and you're constantly uh, comparing yourself to everybody else you're constantly feeling inadequate and uh, that drives a lot of people to quit or to overstress and underperform so yes selection is difficult physically and mentally in, in or physically but mentally it's it's substantially harder in my opinion and that's where guys need to start adjusting their focus when they want to get into special operations is some we all every person that's been to any kind of selection has watched top studs quit or get injured or just fall back or whatever because they they were so confident in their physical abilities and they did not think anything about the mental uh, aspect of it. So just know that, you know, for these preparations, it's so important to understand the process of, uh, feeling inadequate and how you're going to want to quit and understanding how to get through quitting, how to focus, uh, from fearing the future to focus on each step right now and getting yourself through those really, really hard times. Um, I mean, cause that's just going to help you throughout your career, throughout life. So yeah, it's, uh, it's that, 
that for me I, I think is absolutely key and <clears throat> um the fact that you brought up mental preparation is is honestly you know if you could if you could have brought anything out anything out at all to talk and I, w- I would have imagined it would have been that and mental aspects are, are are actually huge and you can't really train it you can't say right go and read this this lecture and that will that will train you in mental preparedness the only way you can mentally prepare is to physically prepare and go through iteration after iteration after iteration and it's your it's your own prior training and it's even training that you can you can get if you're already a servant soldier you can put yourself on a hard course uh you can put yourself to a hard school uh you can dig out as hard as you can possibly go on these you know company pt you can do you know training lessons uh with with your guys if you're an nco you can literally you know the more the more stuff you do the more you learn and 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 it's more about that thing that uh, david goggins talks about 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 building a calloused mind Mm. he talks about that and uh you, you can't hurt me if you have a calloused mind and you've done all of this shit before like if you've put yourself through pain before physically and mentally when it comes to that again you've had you you have a learned experience of that if you have a learned experience of that you know that okay right, this isn't actually as bad as you know that thing i'd done myself or this isn't actually as bad as that school i was on you know a year ago or whatever it might be when you're in the army um but yeah that i I couldn't agree more with you and and, uh i think mental preparation is not something that you can learn it's something that you have to build um but what are some of the lessons learned from yourself going through uh selection then uh to me the biggest lesson i learned was that the teamwork aspect um i felt like that's where i i felt like I did the the best, um, which was cool. That was a good feeling. Team week is extremely difficult. And um, I started to learn that there's like perceived right actions and then there's right actions, right? And then now I'm, you know, getting my master's in organizational leadership. It's the same kind of thing is like there's people have conceptual or conceptual ideas of what a leader should be, you know, textbook ideas. And then there's people that just go on instinct and they have high emotional intelligence of what the right answer is. And that to me is what I focused on. And that is what a leader um, is about. And that's one thing that I got to start like learning in selection is stop worrying about what a textbook right answer would be for a leadership role and start feeling what the right answer is and understanding that this is what you know is the right thing to do, even though you don't want to do it, even though it may not bring you um, a whole lot of attention or put you in the limelight or make you look like a great leader, just doing the right thing is, is that's what leadership's all about. So that was a huge lesson for me in team week is like, fuck, fuck what you think the cadre wants to see. Fuck that. Stop. Don't even stop thinking about the damn cadre. What needs to be done right now? to accomplish the goal and accomplish the mission and how do these guys around you need help so yeah that was that's that was for me the biggest thing a hundred percent and and i was one of these, i was one of these people while i was in and you know going to uh courses and you know everything like that like platoon sergeant uh, my platoon sergeant's battle course for instance like 
that's a fucking that's a tough mental course because you get one opportunity to to prove yourself as a platoon sergeant you know you know you go through command appointments you get one opportunity to pass or fail and you also have to do a platoon commander appointment and it's a pass or fail and like it's very rare you know if you fail one appointment then fuck you you that's it you you you're almost done like you're not getting you can pass but it's not going to be good for you so the pressure's on um and i'm one of these guys i'm i've always been one of these guys it's like i want to do almost like it's almost like rebellious like i want to do the least the least i want to do the most away from the cadre as possible like i want to do i want to be the guy who's like making the model well well there's like a bunch of guys over here uh, you know um talking about you know the defenses of the harbor or whatever i want to be the guy who's out there actually like putting putting in the work to help the other guys rather than like trying to get some uh some face time with the, with the with the the cadre um mm-hmm. and it doesn't necessarily serve you serve you any good if you're not in the in the the light you know if, you, if you're not in the faces of the cadre all the time but what it does do is that it it serves you good for when you get to your team or your unit like on these courses everyone almost everyone there is trying to trying to get the best grade possible when you go to your unit no one gives a fuck what grade you got in the course they just want (laughs) they just want a good team player you know so it serves you better you know you don't it doesn't matter if you become if you're a top student or not when you get to your unit it serves you better if you just dig out blind for the guys left and right of you you just want to help them as much as possible like you just said um that's it but yeah I'm in complete agreement with you. Um, and then what, what were some of the highlights for you personally going through selection then? Um, so there was the one highlight is one story. Um, there was a Jeep, right. And it's only got, I think it was like three wheels or some shit. And then you had to, you know, carry the axle and then push the fucking thing. But one person had to be in there driving the Jeep. (laughs) <laughs> and I went to get, yeah, so it's a shitbag position. I went to get water and I came back and they're like, oh, dude, everyone else has already got a spot. Can you just drive the Jeep? I was like, fuck. All right, fine. And then so I get in the Jeep and we're just cruising downhill. So we're all just kind of laughing and joking. And I'm telling jokes about, you know, how I used to pick up chicks and act like an idiot. And everyone's laughing. We're having a good time. And then we pull up to this uh, and there's two teams, like one guy, one team's next to us. And we pull up to this hill. And it's just straight up and it's just fucking like a foot of sand, dude. And I look at that hill and it, it was long, dude. That's at least two football fields of just straight up this sand. And I was like, fuck no, you guys are not pushing me up that damn hill. And they're like, dude, just stay in. It'll take too much time to switch. And I was like, nope, fuck that. And I jumped out and I was like, someone else get in. And then the guy that was holding the axle, he was hurting, man. So he's like, all right, I'll do it. So he jumps in <laughs> Self and the what's that he was a selfless one <laughs> he took one for so, the so, team so the the guy the other team though um the the driver that was in it the up to the hill he stayed in the the driver's seat all the way up the hill they're like listen you're the lightest they talked him into it he ended up not getting selected and i got selected so i was like thank god man that was like, <laughs> like when you know but that's the thing is like when you know the right answer it's up to you to be a man 
to have that mental and physical fortitude or that mental fortitude to say, I need to do this. Like, I know this is the right answer and I know I can get away with chilling a little bit longer, but I know the fucking right answer and just do the right thing. And and that was an instance where um, I made the right decision and it paid off because I, I probably wouldn't have got selected if I stayed in the, that Jeep. And what 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 are the card what are the cards you're looking for? What are some of the, some of the qualities that the cards you're looking for out of the guys? And, and you know, all of the guys that rock up, I'm sure have these qualities in some some degree. But what are what are some of the main qualities that they're looking for? Um, the same thing is like not being a showboater. Like you're not trying to fight for their attention. You're trying to fight for what the team needs to do. Um, you got to think about it from a cadre's perspective. They're just ex team guys looking to replace team members. That's it. So yeah. if you think about it like that, what would they want to see in a future team member? Then you know what they're looking for. So just do that and stop thinking about you and making it about you and, and how you're going to look good. That's, that's what people need to do. Yeah. Um, let's, let's jump on to some of the rules available then. So there's obviously, you know, a whole host of them, but what are, what are some of the rules that, you know, guys might end up finding themselves um, in, and how how does that process go about in terms of being able to do you, do you select for them or do you choose them yourself? Um, as far as like what jobs you get in SF, yeah. So you get you get a wish list and you put down, you know, which ones you want most down to least. And uh, I got lucky that I got my first pick, which is Bravo as a weapon sergeant, um, but they're from there, you know, it's just depending on what group needs, you know, if there's a ton of deltas, the medics, then, and you want to be a delta, like they don't need them. You'll get your second pick or your third pick, Mm -hmm. um, just based on the needs of group. And they, they don't, uh, they don't pick like, right. You, you came, you were like top third of the course. So you get to pick your, you know, your job or you came bottom third. So you, you're going to get given this one. It's just kind of how, how the, um, how the tables turn really yeah yep right yeah well that's kind of good then at least once you once you pass that selection process then at least you're all in the same boat again um and how how is the how's the process for 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 a bravo going through then once you pass that assessment selection uh then you go so you'll transfer to bragg you'll move there you move your family um you'll be at fort bragg in north carolina for close to two years um if you pass everything the first time you know, sometimes guys recycle stuff and, you know, take them, they'll be there for two and a half years. Um, but luckily I did everything the first time and, you know, got through it, but it's really just like broken up in blocks. So it's like one school, two weeks at home, another school. And then you like, you graduate from each school. So it's like a separate victory, but, um, it's also like, you're never, you never feel good because even though you've just passed that one, you could fail the next one. So yeah. you're always kind of just like, trying to do your best and, and crush each phase. Yeah. What, what do you, what for you, uh, particularly was, was either the, 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 the best and worst schools for you going through, what did you enjoy the most? Um, Robin Sage was the best for me. That was like the final phase, uh, just because it was like the culminating experience and you, you actually get to like fake do your job. Um, and I really enjoyed that. I would say like the, the worst for me was the Bravo course. Um, just because even though it's a weapon sergeant, we had a lot of tests and I hate taking tests. Um, and I, like, I remember failing one, um, it was just a weapons list 
you had to name all the parts of the weapon systems and I failed it. And my stress level went through the fucking roof, man. Like I didn't sleep that night. Um, I studied my ass off. I aced it the next time, but I just hate being under the gun for tests. I'd rather be under the gun for performance and what my capabilities are. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I spoke to uh, a guy a, a while ago, uh, a couple of months ago now, a guy called Patrick Collins. He's uh, He went 18 x-ray and then he was a Delta. Um, and he was saying that, and it's the same in all SF units pretty much, is that you you do not want to be the guy who fails anything so he was saying that as he was going through his like uh his medical training he was literally studying like eight hours after he'd been working like a 10 hour day like just to make sure that he knew a hundred percent every single thing that he was doing and I'm, I'm i'm sure that's the same for every you know every job role uh that they have would that would that be right me saying that oh yeah yeah sockham is really tough too that's that medical portion that they do and that is super, you know, test intensive. Um, but that's exactly right. Is like the last thing you want is to not keep moving along with your boys. Um, getting kicked back is, is just a huge, <laughs> huge kick in the nuts, man. Yeah, fuck. It's like getting recycled. Just like, oh, my God. Yeah. Here we go again. New people. You got new personalities. You just want to stay with your group the whole time that's and then, that's the goal and then when the new course starts you're the guy who's recycled it's like this guy's a dumbass <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um, it's true so just in the in general overview what what is the u.s special forces uh speciality and um how are they implemented in the in the you know a modern warfare setting yeah, so as special forces, our job is to train, advise, and assist in we're a force multiplier. So um, our goal is to go into other countries that are have developing militaries and teach them how to shoot, move, and communicate so they could operate independently. And then we can pull back um, and then feel confident that they're going to be able to support themselves and, and take care of their own um, fight without you know having us with them all the time. Um, so in Afghanistan, that looked like uh, going over, taking a, a company of commandos or SF guys, Afghan special forces, and then breaking up into small groups. So, you know, one green beret will take, you know, 14 guys and, you know, watch them go with them into, you know, operations and just keep an eye on them, help them out, you know, and basically teach them and lead them through, uh, taking over for themselves. Um, that was tough in Afghanistan because we bring so much money to the table and we bring so much equipment that it's like we've embedded ourselves into their militaries, whether we like it or not. Like we could train, advise and assist all we want. But the minute we leave, you got three layers of aircraft that are leaving with us. You got all the ammunition that they could shoot leaving with us. You know what I mean? So it's like we can we can pretend like we're we're training them to get out of there and, and you know the guys on the ground are doing the best they can for that um but it, it more becomes about you know them being able to defend themselves and go home to their families than it is about you know the big picture of pulling out of there because i mean we're we're heavily tied into that and do you think that's something that that the sf units you know at, at a higher command level have maybe you know talked to I don't know who would fucking even be deciding this shit generals or politicians or do you think they've maybe had a try to uh try to put their foot on them and say look 
you're 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 bringing us back you're holding us back by giving us so much do you would you would you say that being an sf and almost having less resources available would suit you better in, in a place like afghanistan where it is just so heavily bombarded with military equipment and support mm. from you know allied nations like the us the uk all over the world you think if, no, they, if think... they just give you like bare bones right go and do your job that would that would be a better net result um it's hard to say i i i can't even like i've seen people try to pull back a little bit just from you know different captains that are like have different perspectives on how to go about it um but we've just been there so damn long and we're just so used to doing things um the way that we do them now that any kind of change is going to be really tough um but at the same time it's hard to be like hey let's give them less because then we go on mission with them and I'll be damned if I want that fucking aircraft hovering overhead. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where the like, fucks are the A-10s at? Yeah, I know. <laughs> like there was days when we're sleeping in uh, Isis Valley is completely surrounded. Um, and all night long is doom, doom, doom. The ground is shaking from just dudes trying to move in on our location. They're just getting schwacked by the aircraft. So I, we're out there just sleeping. <laughs> and they're just getting <laughs> annihilated. So it's like um, if you take that away from them, then you got to take it away from us. So it's just a, a constant battle of risk versus reward. Yeah, modern warfare, man, with, with aerial assets and, you know, everything that we have, all equipment and, you know, the technology, the ability for guys to just pull up some shit online is mm-hmm. so fucking complex these days. It's like, you know, it, it's, it is obviously leaps and bounds apart from, you know, the Great War and of 1914 onward, but you know it's just it's insane it literally was right we're going to line up and we're going to fire at you and you're going to shoot back at us and whoever's got the most guys standing at the end wins yeah now, i know that's literally nuts, what that's dude. literally what it used to be but now there's you know f- fucking isis for example in in syria you know fighting them at how many how many nations and how many different forces we're in that puzzle it's an absolute minefield so yeah you know it's it's complex on a level you of you're playing fucking 6d chess it's it's an mm-hmm. absolute insane um but what what was your highlight of um of doing your the the essential sf role for you personally what what would be your highlight of just doing that one thing well i think that you get to see like a lot of those guys that really do want to fight for their country and they're in it for the right reasons, they, they appreciate you being there tremendously, you know? And it's like, um, I can't say who these guys were because they, they don't exist, but they're, um, our bomb guys worked with them. I'll say that. And they became good friends and they saved each other's lives, like back and forth, you know, dealing with this kind of stuff. Um, but, there are units out there of um, elite people that do care a lot and that they, they're amazingly trained. They're um, insanely uh, decorated in combat and they are the highlights because they matter and they like, obviously everyone matters, right? But they, they are truly like heroes out there and they're, they're doing their damnedest to put their country in a better position and a better place. So, I would say that those guys um, were the highlights. Um, 
if you if you don't mind just describe what it looks like to do the the you know that specified sf role um in its fullest you know in terms of being on the ground with the with the host nation what what's what's the environment look like was the just from your personal experience yeah so for me it was um just a lot of training them so we got to set up training um and then get them on board with our training plan and it's hard for those guys too because a new team comes in every few months and is all gung-ho to get after it for six months and you know they're in year in and year out doing the same shit um but we get a training plan together we meet our koi we meet uh whoever our commandos are whoever whatever host nation we're working with and we um brief our training plan and if they're on board with it and they like it then we start training together we, we teach them how to shoot move communicate um get them confident in their weapon skills my job is to teach them how to you know be more proficient with their uh, weapon systems and then then we go to war once the missions come in uh, we all roll out together and you know we go lay it down and just like in the u.s if you looked at our soldiers there were some fucking heroes out there and there were some duds you know and um so you just had to kind of pay attention when you're training because that was your time to find out who your studs were and then you could you know let them do their thing and then you find out who your duds were and so you can keep an eye on them you know when the bullets started coming back at you yeah um <clears throat> In terms of like, in terms of training, what what would be some of the difficulties that you that you would encounter with them? Um, and maybe you could uh, maybe you could just give a, a brief the, you know, a brief overview of some of the environments that you were operating in terms of you know what what countries you were in. You know, you don't have to, but um, you know what area um, that that you were working in, just just to give a, a, a bit of an overview. Um, so I'll, uh, we're in Afghanistan. Um, that was our, our main area. So, uh, central mostly, I could say that, um, and training, what, what was it? Sorry. It was training. And then where, uh, just in general, just like a, a, a brief overview of, of, um, some of the, some of the issues, like the complex oh, the issues. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, man. I get brain force i got blown up a couple times <laughs> <laughs> um so just uh some of the issues were obviously like motivation like i said like we're in there we're motivated we have a time frame we got to get this shit done so we can go out hit the missions um get our bang on before fucking it's time to go home you know and for us to come in and just like shove our our uh excitement right up their ass and they're like dude when you when you guys leave another fucking team is coming in with the same amount of excitement and the same amount of like uh you know like readiness and you know just being overly fucking into it they're just not into it like that like they so you're constantly having to get on them and be like hey let's go fucking train let's go train and then you'd have a training time and then they don't show up and uh, so then you're going and meeting with the commanders, their commanders, and hey, why don't your guys show up and shit like that. So that's the, that's the battle is like the di the diplomacy side. Um, but you're also you have to have empathy for their situation. You can't just be like, listen, motherfuckers, we're in charge, you know, because <laughs> because then they'll tell us like, listen, you motherfucker, like this is our country. So you you have to you have to play the game and, and have empathy for their situation and try to accomplish your mission you know but you can't 
you can't be all fucking about you and you can't let them not do shit either so you it's just a balancing act yeah how much how much uh how much individual responsibility do, do you feel that sf operators have compared to let's say just a just um you know just a regular infantry dude i know it's i know it's probably drastically more responsibility but um you know are you and your your boss are you getting daily orders from your boss you need to achieve this today you need to achieve this this month or are you just oh, yeah. saying are you are you just giving an overview of site right this is what you need to achieve for this mission for this whole deployment well it kind of depends like on your your particular boss and like how they operate um but typically in nsf i mean you're constantly um it's like a competition between you and the other teams, between you, your company and, you know, other groups and how much you were able to accomplish on that deployment versus the last team that was there and how you want to show out for the next team that's coming in. Um, so there's always a pressure to perform as a whole. And then uh, you don't want to be the person on the team that's like, hey, we would have made this goal, but you're fucking slacked off uh, because then that's that's on the team to come together and, and you know, they got to square that dude up, but there's always a pressure to perform on an ODA because, you know, you want to look good in front of the other teams. You want to be performing really well. So, uh, you can get the next good mission. Um, you're always in competition for the next good missions and stuff like that too. So there's a tremendous amount of pressure and we have an environment in special operations. That's, um, it's very, no excuses, get the fucking job done. And so, the it, the backside to that and kind of the issue with that um is that because sf guys always get the fucking job done they always keep getting a little more stacked on a little more stacked on and it's it's to the point where it's like fucking overwhelming the amount of hats that one <laughs> sf guy wears you're just like dude you're fucking the it's it's nuts and they just but if they keep knocking it out you know command's just gonna keep adding that shit yeah can I ask about what what language you learned when you were going through the Q course? Yeah, I got French because I'm I'm retarded, and that was like the easiest one you could get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how does that translate into Afghanistan? Not at all. I don't remember any of it, dude. It's like Je m'appelle Sean. I think that's the best I can do anymore, dude. Is if that, you don't use it, you lose it, man. I fucking funny, let yeah. all that go, bro. Just fucking hire a Turk, man. You need to cut that fucking uh, that language portion out of the q course get rid of that just hire some terps yeah yeah i know the guys that barely ever get to use it put some money into their country as well um yeah so just talking about that um personal responsibility then just could you could you maybe describe uh, a situation where you you were in a you know that that you were in where you felt that uh you were maybe you were responsible for a whole heap of shit that you just would never ever thought you would be. Yeah, that that mostly is in the in the rear. Honestly, it's not even like in Afghanistan. In Afghanistan, it all makes sense. Like you're responsible for your weapon systems and training guys and going to war, all that. It's once you get back to the garrison, you're back in the states. That's when it's like, the fuck do I got to do? You got to like, like I remember having to get an arms room uh prepped for a inspection and i was like what the fuck and they're like you need this form on this and it has to have this form and this fucking form and if any of these forms are are 
done or like and then you have like three pages of criteria that your arms room needs to meet in order to pass this inspection otherwise the company like gets shut down and fucking can't use it or some shit (laughs) and it was just like because i was on the b team for a little bit before getting out and then the fucking um at the same time as that happening the uh demo cages where you know you hold all the c4 and shit they're getting their inspection and they're not supposed to have any any uh explosives in it so I was like, I already cleared mine out. I did my job. I go and open the thing, and there's fucking box of C4 sh- magically showed up in my fucking thing. And I'm like, dude, this is getting inspected today, and now we're in a huge violation. Like, this fucking C4 is not supposed to be here, and I have no idea where it came from. Somebody just shoved it in my fucking, uh, in my fucking storage container, and now I'm gonna get fucked. So, dude, it was. It's just constant like shit like that in the in the rear. It's like. Dude, they, yeah. people just throw so much shit on your plate and you just got to figure it out. What do you do with it? Just take it out to the range and blow that shit up. <laughs> I wish, dude. That <laughs> that would have been the ideal is just to fucking throw it, throw a charge on it and blow it up. But yeah. you have to schedule a range for that. And that, you know, that. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Dude. And then, and then they're like, why are you scheduling a range for demo that you don't have? Like, uh, <laughs> it's like, I don't know. <laughs> I will just jump forward to then to to jumping leaving the leaving the the army. Then what, what did that? What, how did that process come about? Uh, so in Afghanistan, I just had a bad experience with the the team sergeant, and uh, my team ended up all having a bad experience with this dude. And I was like, because I was ready to sign another five year contract, and then I was like, you know what, dude, I'm I'm fucking I'm just gonna move on. And I felt like not only just having that bad experience with him that was just kind of like a catalyst but really i just felt like i had i'd done everything i wanted to do on that deployment like like we got into gunfights we killed dudes um we lost people which was uh tremendously difficult for me um even though he wasn't even like one of my good friends he wasn't even one of my like people he was just on a my friend's team but just you know experiencing that loss and, and it it was like i got the whole fucking range of things that I wanted from BNSF. And I was like, what else? I have two options. I could keep BNSF and just keep doing the same things, like repeat the same experiences over and over. Um, or I can go get out and, and experience something new and something about my life. I, I always wanted to have as many experiences as I could over having, you know, doing one job for 25 years. That just, that to me sounded terrible. I never wanted to do that. So I got out and went uh, law enforcement, and which was awesome until fucking, you know, everything happened with George Floyd. Yeah, you mentioned that you were in a, like a like a small team. What 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 job role did you end up in? So that was I ended up getting a spot pretty quickly, which was awesome. On a, it was a citywide impact team, and that team is was about you know just going all over the city of Denver and um, finding hot spots for crime and you know trying to trying to squash it. Um, so it was basically just a team that the chief could, you know, direct to go after any hotspots and, 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 you know, try to reduce the crime in that area, um, immediately, right. Without, you know, the gang units got uh, a whole list of things they gotta, they gotta do before. So the, the chief can't just pull that, you know, pull them to do whatever he wants. So he wanted a team that he could just kind of point and shoot whenever he felt like it. Um, and it was it was fantastic, man. We were we were targeting uh, gangsters and 
you know, guys with stolen guns and, you know, targeting some real bad dudes and developing our own intel. And it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, but then George Floyd happened, the riots happened, uh, in the riots, we're getting like Molotov cocktails thrown at us, uh, rocks almost got hit by cars multiple times. Um, two guys got targeted and hit by a car and, you know, ended up in the hospital. It was just, it was chaotic, but it wasn't even a problem. Like, you know, I didn't mind, I don't mind chaos. I like, I didn't mind that at all. Um, what pissed me off is after, uh, the department just didn't have cops backs. And it was like, like the chief was actually kind of like instigating investigations on his own cops. So it just felt like the department was just selling us down the river. And I was like, you know what? I'm not working for a, an organization that can't support. Like you told us to go out there and do this stuff. And now you're going to like come at us like we're criminals. Yeah. And I think, I think somebody, some legislation even called the Denver police department, uh, criminals at one point. And I was like, fuck this. I'm not doing this. Yeah. It's fucking ridiculous. In the UK at the minute, we've got a lot, of, a lot of police being very heavy handed with the COVID restrictions and almost to the point where it's like, you know, it's, you know, it's, it seems unlawful, but, mm. um, you know, I, I completely admire you taking the, you know, taking the high horse and not, not taking the high horse. That's fucking very, very wrong use of words, but taking the, the, having the moral courage to, to stand by your convictions and, and just retire because it, it's, it's a voluntary job at the end of the day. You don't have mm -hmm. to work there, um, which is what I tried to imp impress on people. With, you know, these pol the police in the UK, they, you know, they don't have to do that fucking job. If they don't agree with what they're being told to do, they don't have to fucking do it. They can just resign. They don't have to go out there and arrest. This is genu genuine. They don't have to go out there and arrest a woman sitting on a bench at a beach because, of COVID, uh, because there's COVID restrictions on. They can they can just resign. They don't have to go and do that. They don't have to arrest innocent people for, for fucking sitting at a beach drinking some coffee. You know, it's, it's right. absolutely ridiculous. Uh, so so I I genuinely applaud you for that. But the whole thing, man, is 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 super difficult. And uh, I tell people all the time is like if you're in any sort of job where where your employer doesn't back you or doesn't have your back, just fucking leave. Just yep. you're better off just leaving, doing your own thing, finding a new role, finding a new employer um because you know I, I learned from being in the army they don't give a fuck about you so find someone that does care about you and stick with them um and you you'll have a, a happy career but just just kind of wrapping up then um what would what would be one piece of advice that you'd, you'd give yourself if you could look back at your your 18 year old self and and say hey man listen up i've got some words for you um that's a good question man i, I... I would look look back and tell them to fucking get hard now. Like, do what you got to do to to dig deep and 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 get hard uh, sooner rather than later. You know, like, um, cause shit's not gonna get easier, and you're gonna keep fucking things up for yourself and making it worse for yourself. And I would tell them you're your own worst enemy. So the sooner you can figure that out, the sooner you can, you know, get out of your own way. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, do you have any final thoughts or any, any, uh, words of advice for, for, for guys listening? No, I appreciate you having me on, man. This is, this is fun. And, um, I really, honestly, this is, this has been the one that's, uh, I've dug most into my past. So I'm stoked about it and I, I hope it resonates with some people and, um, we could start sending the message that, you know, broken people have a, uh, an advantage, not a disadvantage. We just have to learn how to use it.
Yeah, definitely. I think hardship uh, um, definitely hardens the mind um, and you need a hard mind to do difficult things. So, mate, I I really do appreciate you you taking the time out of your day to sit down and and, and chat with me. And it's been a very, um, you know, it's been a great podcast, to be fair. I I feel like it's been a a winner. So, um, I hope everyone that's that's listened has enjoyed it. And if you do like it, you can go and follow um, Sean on on YouTube at the FNG Academy. And when his book comes out, we'll we'll definitely share that on the Instagram page and um, um, and you know promote it as much as we can. But Sean, mate, thank you very much. I uh, uh, I really do appreciate your time. Um, and thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, I appreciate you, brother. Talk to you soon. You too, brother. Take care. Bye.